your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34 for our second reading, that from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. And present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up, in, up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, And take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, And they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. The feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, as I commanded thee in the time of the month Abib, for in the month Abib thou camest out, of, out from Egypt. All that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. <coughs> but the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb 
And if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left unto the morning. The first of the firstfruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. For after the tenor of these words have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, that when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he uh, was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Well, we talked about the first section of this here. So we want to make sure we stop the first section of here at verse 3, right? And so Moses goes up into the mount, and he's supposed to take two tables with him, and the Lord will write upon those tables. There's a difference here in the first scenario. And I think that difference is important for us to remember. That in the first instance, Moses was in the mount, and the Lord cut two tables and then wrote upon them. Now, now the Lord tells Moses, you bring the tables up to me, and I will write upon them. You see that there's an element there of forgiveness and condescension in that. And yet, there is a difference. Right? We don't want to say, do we, that when someone is, has sinned grievously against the Lord, that there's no difference there from before and after that sin. Sins affect us, beloved. There are consequences to these things. 
And when we commit sin that is especially grievous, we ought to expect consequences that are grievous as well. And so notice that the Lord doesn't say, okay, well, let's just pretend it never happened. Come up into the mount and I'll cut two tables like I did before and ride on them. There's a difference here. And I think that difference is to remind the children of Israel what they had done. Because the Lord would have us make use even of our past failings for greater obedience in the future. You think of your sins in the past, beloved. They should grieve you. I, I'm, I'm certain that they do. I don't doubt you in that. But one of the things we forget to do is we just, there are times we, you know, they come to our remembrance, we're grieved, and we put them out of our remembrance because they're grievous to us. But the Lord would say to us, build on those. We even confess that in our larger catechism. What do we pray for in the sixth petition? We say that, that we would make use of our past failings. Okay, so we want to remember that. There is a difference in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, we have the Lord fulfilling his promise to Moses to show him his glory, at least as much glory as Moses is able to partake of. And so, as we said in the last hour, we say here again that notice there's no similitude or figure that is spoken of here. It is the propositions of God's name. It is the truth concerning who God is, who is spirit that is proclaimed here. And what a wonderful proclamation it is. Jehovah Jehovah Elohim, the Lord, the Lord God, right? What does Jehovah mean? That is the promise-honoring, covenant-keeping God. His name is Ehyeh. Ehyeh means I am. That means I will always be. Remember that in the Hebrew, you don't have a future tense. You have a perfect and an imperfect. Perfect speaks of completed past action, right? The imperfect speaks of either continuous or future action and so in that same word the lord says i am and i will be all right both of those would be competent translations of what he told moses in exodus three fourteen. all right so now uh, notice that the lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and while the lord is everywhere still there are special places of communion with god This is something that we must remember. And in our day, that means in the public worship of God, there is a special communion with him. There's also a special communion with God in our closets and in our families. I don't mean to downplay those. But like David Clarkson said, God loves the gates of Zion more than all the tents of Israel. Right? There's a special glory in public worship that does not appear in those other times. And then it is the Lord's great mercy that is proclaimed. Merciful and gracious. The word merciful, that's the Hebrew word raham, which simply means kindness, condescension, mercy, that kind of thing. And then grace, that's the the Hebrew name we get John from. Right? That's the Hebrew chen. And that means grace, unmerited favor. God gives us things we do not deserve, in other words. Um, long suffering, literally in the Hebrew, that means he is he is long of nose. That's literal, right? Because in the Hebrew, when you get angry, you get angry in your nose. You you snort. You get angry like that. It comes up like that in you know to the Hebrew mindset. And so the Lord is long of nose. He doesn't soon come to that kind of snorting and sniffing, if you will. 
Um, and then it says also that he is abundant in chesed ve'emet. We know those words. Loving kindness or covenant fidelity and truth. Truth. And that is gospel language. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. He is a God of justice. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon their children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. That is of sinners. Children are not punished for their father's sins. And let's make sure that we separate in our thinking consequences from punishments. Okay? So Moses made haste. Notice he did not bow to a figure that he saw, but to the words that he heard. The propositions of language that spoke the name of God to him. Moses reverenced the idea, right? The spirit of God in that day. And then finally he has his request. If now I have found grace in thy sight, I pray thee go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people. Notice how Moses turns that around. He's just heard that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. And so the Lord said to him, I'm not going to go among you, for you're a stiff-necked people. The Lord, and Moses says to the Lord, go among us, Lord, because we are a stiff-necked people. So he pleads the mercy of God among them. You see how he turned it around. And the Lord said, I will. I will do what you have asked me to do. So then there is that covenant made. And this is that covenant that separates the people of God from every other people upon the face of the earth. We saw that happen today. We saw people make a public covenanting with God uh, in their vows of church membership. And they are separated from the people like, like all of us are. Uh, from the rest of the people upon the face of the earth that have not covenanted with God. The responsibilities of that covenant, observe which I, that which I command thee this day. And the Lord says, I'm going to do wonders among you. Well, wait a minute. You already have, Lord. You've already done all those wonders in Egypt. The Lord says, I'm not done. I'm going to drive out from before you those seven nations in the land of Canaan. And I'm going to drive them out in such a way that you will know that the battle is the Lord's. And it's my wonders that drive them out before you. And so that's what's coming. And that's what, that's what the Lord will tell him in verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> because the Lord is doing that, because you're my people and I'm driving out those people then, don't make a covenant with them. Don't make a league with them. Don't take their sons to your daughters or give your daughters to their sons. Children, those of you that are looking for mates, remember we're looking for godly mates, right? Not the prettiest, not the most handsome, not the one who's going to make the most money, not any of that. Priority one, that we marry in the Lord. Right? Priority one. That's what Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then finally, notice, if you do that, they will draw you aside after their gods. And in keeping with that, then thou shalt make thee no molten gods. We're just two chapters out of the golden calf. So we know what's being spoken of there, right? Don't worship God by any molten God. The true God will not be worshipped in that way. Moses, did you see a figure a few moments ago? No, you heard the proclamation of the name of God. Okay, so now we have the proper worship of God, right? 
that God is Lord over that worship. So now we're going to talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the month of Abib. We're going to talk about the uh, first fruits that belong to the Lord, um, sheep or cattle, uh, even the first fruit of an ass. But you can't sacrifice an ass, so you give a lamb for it instead. And if you will refuse to sanctify it in that way, then you break its neck. You don't get the use of it. If you don't proclaim that God owns all your stuff by giving him the first fruits, then the Lord is telling you, then I'll break all of it down. Right? Okay. Uh, we have the Sabbath day then in verse 21. We have the Feast of Weeks in verse 22. We have uh, thrice in the year, verse 23, uh, shall all your males appear before me and none shall appear empty. And so now the Lord is proclaiming that not only is he the Lord over our bodies, but he's the Lord over our time. And he will tell us when we worship him and when we don't. And beloved, in Christian liberty, let me tell you, nobody else can tell you when it's time to worship the Lord except the Lord. Right? No special days, no special ceremonies, none of that. Okay, so, so now the, the Lord says that he will cast out the nations before, before them, enlarge their borders. And when you go up to worship the Lord three times in the year, I won't require anything of you that I will not provide for, the Lord says, as my people. And so the nations that live around you, I'll just make sure they're not interested in your land while you're gone three times in the year to come and worship me. I'll make sure of that. You don't need to worry about your land. I'll protect you and I'll protect your land. What a great provision, right? Um, this puts to the lie, well, pastor, I have to work on the Sabbath day. I have to feed my family. Well, there are lawful things on the Sabbath day. We don't, you know, and that's in keeping with the fourth commandment. That's not an exception to the fourth commandment. Okay? But not every calling is a work of necessity. There are works of necessity that must be done on the Sabbath. We understand. Um, but it is also uh, not true that we can, you know, we can plead, well, I have to feed my family. And so all bets are off with regard to the fourth commandment. And I can work any calling because that comes first, Pastor. And I've been told that. Maybe some of you have as well. Uh, no, what the Lord says is, if you obey me in my set times of worship, I'll protect your stuff. I'll make sure that you are cared for in that way. Okay, so now we talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. No leaven in the house, right? You don't kill the Passover and, and provide that with leaven. That's what's said in verse 25. Again, the Lord uh, regulates all of that. The first fruits of thy land, once again, that has to do with uh, our profession that the Lord owns it all. When we give the Lord the tithe, that means that he is the owner of it all, and we simply stewards of his mercy. And then we have something that commentators are really divided over, and that is, uh, thou shalt not see the kid in, its mother's, in his mother's milk. And you're going to find a lot of different comments on that. I think that Calvin is right. My own understanding is in line with his. And that is that this is so monstrous a thing, that the Lord has given milk to a mother, not for the, the cooking of her, of her little one, but for the nourishment of that little one. 
Not, not the ending of life, but the giving of life. And it's a monstrous thing to take that milk that the mother is providing, whether it's the milk of a sheep or the milk of a cow, and to use that in your broth for your soup where you take the, the, the very little one of that mother, right? That's a monstrous thing. That's what Calvin says. Others would say that it points to an ancient Near Eastern heathen ritual. Well, that may or may not be true. I don't know. Okay, so then notice, write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words have I made a covenant with thee in Israel. See, normally we don't think of covenanting that way. But these are the part of the stipulations. When we, when we say, and we heard this today, that Jesus Christ is my sovereign Lord. Okay, well that's more than just saying those words. That means that everything he said, I receive. That's a part of my covenanting. That's a part of my being the Lord's. So it's not just avowing, you know, having those words come out of your mouth. What stands behind those words is exactly what Moses says or what the Lord says to Moses here. And so Moses was there 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't eat bread nor drink water and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Another 40 day time when Moses receives instruction for the church. All right, so now we come to the last section of this and I I will take a... A few minutes here because it is an important passage that is often misunderstood. I want you to look down to verse 33 with me for a moment. You will notice that, and you know the, the, the great honor and respect that I give to the King James Version translators. They have done wonderful work, but not here. Not in this verse. And they've made it confusing. Whereas the Hebrew is, I think, pretty, pretty clear. So notice verse 33, and till. You see the till there? Now those wonderful translators have done us the solid, the, the good work of putting that in italics. Because it's not in the original. What does it make it sound like if you read it here? Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. It means that while he was speaking, he had the veil on his face because his face shone with the glory of God. How does that work, people of God? Is that okay? Can we do that? I'm going to take my glasses off because I fogged them up. It doesn't work, does it? Okay, now take the till out and read it. And Moses had done speaking with them. He put a veil on his face. You see, it actually changes the meaning, doesn't it? When Moses was done speaking with them, he put the veil on his face. While he was speaking with them, he did not put the veil on his face. The passage seems to me is very clear. Why would Moses address the people of God with a veil on his face? Some would say because they were afraid and they ran from him. Well, that happened at the first. When he first came down the mountain, that's true. They saw him. They saw his face shining. He didn't know it was shining. They all started running from him. We don't know who that is, but whoever it is, we're out of here. Moses called to them, and then they came near, and he spoke to them. You see, that's exactly what it says there. Moses came down from the mount with the two tables, and he wist not, that's ancient English for he did not know. 
that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God, with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh to them. And Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to, them, to, to him, and Moses talked with them. So yeah, it is true that when they first saw Moses, they were afraid of him, but Moses called to them, and then they returned to him, unveiled face, and he spoke with them. So then, and afterward, verse 32, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in command all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And Moses had done speaking with them, and he put a veil on his face. He told them all the commands that God said, then he put a veil on his face. Now notice what it says here. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out, and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he, God, had commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. If he had a veil on, how were they doing that? You see, it doesn't make any sense the other way. Okay, and then uh, I'll, we won't turn there because we're not preaching on this passage. But if you go to 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, you have Paul's inspired commentary on this. And what Moses did, and I, I, I believe Moses was well-meaning in doing this, but it had a bad effect. Moses, after he was done speaking to the children of Israel, he would put a veil on his face. And he put the veil on, Paul said, so that the Israelites would not see that that glory was fading the longer Moses stayed away from the Lord. And then Moses would go to speak with the Lord again. He would take the veil off. He would talk with the Lord. He would come out again with his face shining. And he would speak to the children of Israel. And then he would put the veil on his face when he was done. And the glory would fade. And Paul tells us that Moses put that veil on his face specifically so the children of Israel would not see that glory fading. Right? And then Paul will say, but we with open face behold the glory of God and are changed from glory to glory. And so he will use that as an illustration of the greater glory of the new covenant over the old. What a wonderful illustration that Paul makes that out to be. So, the principle is very clear. When Moses covered his face, it was so that they would not see the glory fading. And what Paul intimates there is, had they seen that glory fading, they would have understood that that economy was not meant to last. Right? In 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, Paul will say that, now, when Moses is read, the veil remains upon their heart. They think they still belong to Moses. They won't leave Moses and come to Christ. And why won't they come to Christ? Because they didn't see the glory fading off of Moses' face, that it was supposed to fade. And they were to leave that tabernacle and come to that heavenly Jerusalem where the glory of Christ shines forth. And so when Moses put the veil on his face, I'm sure he did it, we want to put the best construction on that so that they wouldn't see that that glory was fading. He wanted the words of God to last with them. He wanted them to keep that remembrance of his glowing face when, it, when they heard the law so that they would be more inclined to receive it and to keep it rather than to see it fade and thinking, oh, well, that glory's fading. I don't need to keep these commandments. 
But what it had, Paul will say, is the reverse effect. He covered that fading glory so that they did not realize that that glory was supposed to fade and give way to Christ. So that's really what Exodus 34 is teaching. All right, with that then, let's